Hey climbers, this is Climb by VSC, a weekly show about building and scaling startups in the world of climate innovation. My name is Jacob Poor, general partner of VSC Ventures and co-host of Climb. Every week, I or a member of our VSC team will speak with a pioneer in the climate tech world about emerging technologies and novel ideas that will turn the tide on climate change. We've all heard enough of the doom and gloom. It's time for stories of innovation that lead to sustainable positive change. In today's episode, my partner Vijay Chetta speaks with Alex Brown, CEO of Alga Biosciences, who is decreasing agricultural methane emissions by using algae. This topic of curtailing emissions in the U.S. has resurfaced in the public conversations since the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. So I'm excited for you all to hear how Alga is approaching this problem specifically. As always, I'm so happy that you've decided to join us. Now, let's climb. Welcome to another edition of Climb. Uh, a podcast from BSC Ventures, where we bring on some amazing folks that are in the company building phase in climate technology. And today we are honored to have on Alex Brown, co-founder and CEO of Alga Biosciences. Uh, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Vijay. Really appreciate it. Um, great to be here. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about Alga. Um, the company, how did you and your team decide to start the company? Yeah, so, uh, you know, as a quick overview of, of what we do, um, we make a feed additive that stops cows from burping methane and makes farmers money. That's the entire company. <laughs> Everything is is in that one sentence. Um, so I, I started it along with my friends, Caroline and Daria, um, who are doing their PhDs in chemistry at UC Berkeley. Um, and so the, they're my co-founders and we started it frankly, because we couldn't figure out why nobody else was doing this. <laughs> um, it seemed, you know, in my eyes as one of, if not the most important things to focus on in climate. Um, I thought methane was kind of categorically under-focused on and under-invested in, um, and could have kind of some of the largest, largest impacts on our actual global warming trajectory. Um, and so th this is kind of how we started it, began early 2021, um, kind of really working on this area and thinking about, you know, what would a scalable solution look like here? Um, how do we stop these enteric methane emissions, which is cow burps, uh, which are the single largest source of methane in the world. Um, and, you know, it was really just kind of a w wide open brainstorm. For a, for a couple of months of reading as much literature as we could, calling as many professors, farmers, um, industry people as we could, um, and really thinking about what would a scalable solution look like here. Got it. And then and what was the final summation of that? So uh, like in terms of sort of the, the product that you decided to make? Yeah, great. So for a little bit of history about roughly five years ago, scientists in Australia found this species of red seaweed um, that uh, has this really remarkable effect that when you add it to the feed of cows, it really dramatically reduces their methane emissions. This is great, um, but it's really hard to grow this stuff. So because it's a strange undomesticated species. And so you can't produce enough of it to actually make an impact and you also can't make it nearly cheap enough for any farmer to actually want it even if you could produce enough um so 
there it's really not something that ends up scaling to address the problem um, at the magnitude required. And so what we became really interested in is, okay, so this one species isn't going to work, isn't going to be the solution because it, it doesn't scale. However, you know, seaweed is, and kelp is really remarkable because of its ability to scale, um, because of the sheer amount of biomass that you can produce this way. Um, and, you know, you see companies in the climate space uh, taking advantage of this, like running tide um, and, you know, lots of companies in the food space and the, um, you know, apparel space as well. But what we got really interested in is how do we take the seaweed that is that already scales and we already know how to produce at massive quantities and how do we transform it into being an equivalent of that special uh, hard to grow red algae. Um, and so that's really what we developed and we developed kind of a biochemical process to transform um, fast growing kelp into turning it into anti-methanogenic feed additive. Um, and so that's what we had been, we worked on for, you know, nine months in the lab of just focusing on that. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the core of our technology. Talk to me about these different stages of the genesis of the business. Yeah. So at, at first I was um, just kind of obsessing over the kelp space and what a solution would look like here. Uh, so started, it's kind of funny, uh, started kind of like tricking Caroline and Daria um, to, to spend more time on this where, you know, they were doing their PhDs at Berkeley and, and say, yeah, come over to San Francisco. Like we're going to, you know, having a party, you know, and then it just being me with a whiteboard um and we just uh talk through talk through chemistry for a couple of hours um and f then they kind of became more invested and got and we all kind of ended up convincing ourselves um that it was possible um and that the science was doable and so then the next step was well we we need to we need to raise money and the it's a kind of a challenge i'm always I'm perpetually jealous of software companies of, you know, being able to really make a lot of progress with just a computer. Um, and so it's a real challenge of biotech companies of you need to have an actual lab um, to, to do things. And so like, it was a little bit of a chicken in the egg because I didn't come really from the startup world. So I was trying to figure out how to talk to investors. Um, and, you know, a lot of times investors want to see uh, want to see some evidence that you've you've made progress on this. And we were like, well, we've got a lot of great plans that we've written down, um, but that's about it. And so we started doing more chemistry in Daria's kitchen um, and doing a lot of our experiments there um, so that, you know, we, we don't want to work in the Berkeley labs. We don't want the um, IP to be owned by, by the university at all. Um, and finally, uh, we got kind of our first $20,000 um, from, uh, biotech investors. Um, and that was unbelievable. Like that was finally that unlocked everything because we could, then we rented a lab immediately. Um, we did our first experiments and got our first data back three weeks later, I think. Um, and then we got another $120,000 from, uh, a climate, uh, syndicate and then got into Y Combinator and then things just kind of continued to accelerate from there. So it's just like that first step that was really the extremely pivotal <laughs> catalytic step. Awesome. So it sounds like the first step really was uh, a false party promotion at your house that really wasn't a party. Yes. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much. That's awesome. And um, 
sort of like in that process, and again, I'm going in the nitty gritty because I want to, we want to educate other founders. Um, anything in that process between um, the whiteboard party to YC that either you would have done differently or you wish you would have known about the process? And then also like, how did you decide which investors reached out to? Was this just a Google search? Was it through a network through Berkeley? Like just, just to, again, help other founders think through that process. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I definitely didn't do it correctly. <laughs> so I would say definitely take a more structured approach. Um, I I frankly didn't really understand how all of fundraising worked that well. Um, and so began just talking to investors uh, in these climate Slack groups that I was in. So like my climate journey, work on climate. Um, and I was especially kind of I'd been talking to a lot of folks about the intersection of biology and climate and biotech and, and climate. Um, and so began kind of talking to those investors. And so slowly became a bit more, you know, structured at understanding, you know, what investors want to hear and what they want to know. Um, and, uh, you know, really the, I think for a company as early as we were, um, what we needed was something more similar to like a fellowship or like a very, you know, I think like activate is a good example. Um, uh, and, and sort of the money we got was from the Sci founders collective, um, which is a bunch of biotech founders who want to encourage uh, PhD students to drop out of academia. Um, <laughs> uh, and so that was, and that ended up being the right place. So I, I think what was interesting is like really making sure the investors are the right fit for, for your needs. Like, I, I think that was something actually that um, one of your previous guests um, was, was really good about of say, of, uh, harsh of saying, you know, like the point of each round of funding is to get to the next round. And I think in some ways, those rounds at the beginning are super short. Like they can be two months long of like, you just need to prove that these first assumptions that you're making about your company are right. And then all of a sudden, you know, the capital can grow by orders of magnitude. Um, and so like, I think that was the, the really important realization for us is like, we need $50,000 at the beginning. Um, and that's enough to really all of a sudden unlock all of these next conversations and kind of a more proper seed round. Where are you in terms of sort of currently on the traction with the product? Where we're at overall as a company is we spent 2020, all of 2021 and half of 2022 making a product and uh, trying it and working with ac academics and academic labs to see, hey, did, <laughs> are our assumptions correct? Does this work? Um, and luckily it worked really, really well. Um, we had massive methane reductions. And so then since then, what we've been focusing on is actually production capacity and produce, figuring out how to produce this stuff at scale. Um, and so that's what we've been working on kind of the, the second half, the, the last three quarters of 2022, um, is producing the stuff at scale and kicking off our first commercial pilots. Um, and so for us, a commercial pilot is, um, not a couple hundred head, you know, we're shooting for, you know, thousands of head on a big feedlot. Um, so a lot of cows, um, stopping the methane emissions of a lot of cows that are actually part of, you know, the commercial supply chain. Um, and so we're just kind of finishing up our first production run right now. 
um, and are, are planning to kick off that commercial pilot um, this spring. Talk about the, your customer and talk about um, that process. Talk about the objections they've had and how you've handled those. And, and let's go into that. Yeah. So our kind of customers are, you know, the beef and dairy producers of America for starters. Um, and so these are the guys that, uh, that are making the majority of, of milk, cheese, meat um, that, that this country eats. Um, so a lot of the dairy folks are based here in California. Um, a lot of the, the beef is in Texas or Kansas um, and or Nebraska. Um, and it's, it's really, really fascinating. Uh, it's totally like it was really fun being part of YC and hanging out with like that group of people all the time, like the YC founders. And then going to CattleCon um, and hang out with those guys the other half of my time. Um, it's, a, it's totally like a fun culture shock. Um, and so it's, it's really fascinating because, um, you know, in many ways, the, the cattle industry is totally different than the tech industry, where just by the nature of its, you know, kind of fundamental economics, like it's, it's really, really hard <laughs> to be, to be a, a, a cattleman, honestly, and to, to own a lot of beef because the margins are incredibly slim. Um, you often don't get paid for months at a time. Like you can get paid maybe only once a year. Um, and your business is really uh, subject to the price of, uh, to things totally outside of your control, the price of commodities, of your inputs, of what you know people are willing to pay for beef. Um, and so because of that, you get a lot of interesting dynamics where you know, it's an industry that's naturally very risk averse um, and because one bad year can kind of ruin you. Um, and it's also an industry uh, that is, you know, really wants to see things proven out um, before they adopt them, which is which part of risk averse. But um, so that was like a very interesting thing for me is what became so important when kind of integrating with this community. And I think with tech, like, you can you could go say to a room full of you know folks working at tech companies and say hey you want to try my product that I'm building like I'll I'll let you try it for free like for a couple of weeks and they'd say sure why not you know that it's not how it works in the cattle industry you have to really kind of build a, a sense of trust and and get to know people and have them get to know you uh, before they're gonna believe anything you're saying um, and so it became you know what was really interesting is. I thought most of the, you know, work that I'd have to do was telling people about the product and showing them our scientific papers. Um, but actually it was like getting to know them and having them get to know me. They're like, who are you? Some dude from, from San Francisco, like telling me how to, how to run my business that, you know, I've, that's been in my family for three generations, like no way. Um, and so that became really, really interesting. Um, and was one of the really fun parts of the, of, of the process. One thing you sort of brought up when I, when I first met you, and I thought it was super valuable, is like, in the end of the day, a lot of uh, customers are not buying because of saving the planet, right? And, and, and that was a big part of your pitch to the, to the community, right, about the value prop to them as cattlemen. So can you talk a little bit about their, that process and how are you really selling and what's working? Yeah, yeah. So 
I mean, honestly, this is like when we talk about the founding story, this is the reason I became obsessed with this space. Um, and it's so for context, what's really special here is there's a hidden cost for these methane emissions for the farmer. And they're totally unacknowledged right now. And this is because methane, it's chock full of energy, right? Like that's why we use it for fuel. And so when that cow's burping out methane, they're losing energy. And so it's about 15% of the calories a farmer feeds his cow get just turned into this wasteless, this useless methane and burped out, totally wasted. And that cost is kind of invisible right now to farmers because, you know, there isn't a way to stop these emissions. But feed costs are the single largest cost for a feedlot farmer. And so this is like, this absolutely could transform their bottom line. Um, and so that's what got me so excited about this is, you know, there's so, so few areas in climate where both a solution is possible and the incentives are aligned. Like usually you need a concession from somebody, either like you need a new government regulation saying, hey, you can't use this old inefficient process anymore. Like you got to buy a more expensive, you know, whatever. Um, but this is a case where it's, you can actually genuinely have a win-win where the farmers, they don't have to care about, you know, what the methane target of the United States is. We don't have to care like what we want our methane levels to get to. All they care about is making their cows more efficient. Um, and so that's what got me really, really excited. And that's what we've started to see in our studies. Um, and so that's kind of the, the long-term value prop for farmers here is, you know, sure, there's going to be methane regulation coming down the line. Like we see this already in California. Um, but really, like we're doing this a, a, as a way to just increase the efficiency uh, of your operation. Um, also kind of in the, in the near term, we're also working before we kind of finalize uh, proving out those efficiency gains um, because we want to make sure that you know, we, we prove it on a really big operation, um, like one of these, these big commercial farms, uh, before we start, you know, charging farmers for that, um, and really proving that out. And so we're starting with carbon credits of saying like, Hey, nobody's able to reduce methane emissions yet. And so we're like going to prove that we can reduce these methane emissions, um, and, and sell carbon credits for that to kind of kickstart these pilots. Got it. And, and tell me about, um, carbon credit, that process. So like, how does that functionally work? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of negative, uh, it's been getting trashed the past couple of weeks. Um, which, you know, I think probably right, rightly so in some of them. Um, but th there's a, there's a lot of bullshit carbon credits out there, I think. Um, but, uh, it's really interesting because there's kind of two carbon credit markets. There's the voluntary carbon credit market and there's the regulatory carbon credit market. Um, regulatory carbon credit market. This is the EU has this, this is like a cap and trade scheme. Um, California also has a regulatory carbon credit market, which is really interesting. We can talk about, um, and these are, you know, pretty efficient, pretty efficient markets. You know, there's like an actual price that a ton of carbon trades for, um, in the EU, it's roughly $75. I haven't looked in a couple months, maybe it's somewhere around there. Um, and in California, it's roughly $30. Um, and however, the voluntary carbon credit market is still the wild west. Um, and so 
this is, uh, you know, the, the, the voluntary carbon credit market, it comes from mostly companies acting to hit their internal targets that aren't yet imposed by, say, a government, but, you know, they've made commit ESG commitments or commitments to shareholders of, uh, or they want to like market, you know, being a carbon neutral company. Um, and so these are, you know, companies buying carbon credits or carbon offsets um, purely out of voluntary without, without any legal need. And so as a result, you've got a really wide range of price and quality on the, on the voluntary carbon credit market. And, you know, prices range from $2 a ton um, to $2,000 per ton, um, which, you know, if everything's a ton of carbon, it shouldn't matter. Like that, that price should be exactly the same, but it, it's not. And it's because like the stuff at the really low end um, is say things where it's really hard to prove whether you're actually reducing emissions. Um, I think a good example of this is like forestry credits. You, you know, you've got, uh, you, you can sell carbon credits associated with owning a forest and saying, we're not going to chop it down. Um, and so that like, it, that's obviously pretty inexpensive, but it's also hard to verify that you really were going to chop it down where you not paid this money. Um, and also verify that there isn't leakage, like another forest isn't going to get, just get chopped down instead. Um, and then all the way up to the really high end, which is like really amazing projects that direct air capture, um, where it's actually sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere and say, putting in concrete. Um, and so that's obviously clearly wouldn't have happened were it not for the credit. Um, it's super permanent, you know, it's going to last forever. It's in concrete. Um, uh, and so th those are like the really high quality ones, but you get this massive span. Um, and so what's really important for us is for like having a high quality credit is both having really good validation, um, you know, showing that, Hey, look at, we're not giving you an estimate of, of the methane reductions. We've got, you know, hard data showing what these, what these reductions are. And so, you know, um, exactly what you're paying for and you know, these reductions are real. Um, and also, you know, the, we're lucky that the additionality and the additionality is super clear here. Like these farmers wouldn't be adopting these, this feed additive were it not for the, um, were it not for the carbon credit. Um, and also like the permanence, like this is a really great thing about methane. Um, you know, we don't have to, unlike say carbon sequestration, where you have to prove that the carbon is going to stay stored forever, or at least for a hundred years. Um, we can just say, Hey, look at, we're just stopping the methane emissions during this same month long period. Um, and so all you have to know is that during this period that methane wasn't released. We aren't like storing it and promising it'll never release. Um, we're just stopping it during this period. Um, and so that that is what kind of allows us, that's a recipe for having very high quality carbon credits, um, which I think is important because like if, if, if we're actually gonna use carbon credits as a, as a, as a, as a world to hit um, global warming targets, um, we need them to have to be really easy to account for and have a lot less blurry numbers around them. One thing we didn't actually like, really get to was actually the pitch to the farmer. So you're saying more efficiency. Does that, like, specifically you're saying that means less food per cow, needs less feed per cow? Or are you saying less cost? Like specifically, how does that break down? 
Yeah. So we're actually starting with, you know, when I talk about you know, risk, risk averse farmers and also like we want to make sure that we're always like keeping our word um, to, to farmers and our customers. So we start with saying like, hey, you know, we haven't proved out the efficiency gains yet, uh, on, you know, a massive commercial feedlot. So we're not going to charge. We're not going to guarantee them. We're not going to promise you you'll get them. But what we are going to do is give you the feed additive for free um, and, you know, generate carbon credits here and give you a slice of the, the carbon credit revenue. Um, and so that basically you can get a free trial um, and we can see how this works um, and actually generate some some money as well. Um, and so that's that's kind of the intro. But then, as you mentioned, the real value is these efficiency gains. And what this looks like um, can actually vary from farm to farm a bit. Um, typically, like in beef cattle, what you'll see is, hey, the, the cow eats 10% less, but grows to the same size. And that's great. That's just like super easy math of, you know, uh, we just have 10% feed savings. Um, that's worth a lot of money. On a, you know, on a dairy farm, a lot of times what you'll see is, um, the cow eats the same amount, but she's producing an extra eight pounds of milk per day. Um, and like, that's also really easy math there of like calculating the value. Um, but I mean, the, ultimately it's, it's one number, which is feed conversion efficiency. It's basically how much output are you getting from what you feed your animal? Um, and so that is the number that we really target and we really focus on. And our farmers, like that's, <laughs> that's top of their mind as well. Yeah. Amazing. And, and is that, was that a, so feed conversion efficiency, was that what you said? Yeah. Is that a new KPI that, 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 is, that you've made or is that one that was in the, the market before you came? That, that was in the market, but it's uh, probably new to most of our investors for their investor updates. Uh, it's not a KPI that probably a lot of their other startups are, are reporting. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. Like when I was say, so like when I was at CattleCon last year, um, it was, uh, you know, one of the hot products that everyone was talking about had a 2% improvement in feed conversion efficiency. Um, and so, I mean, that just gives you some insight into how thin the margins are in this business and how important like that number is. Um, yeah. And also gives you some insight into when we're saying, hey, we think we'll have 10% plus feed conversion efficiency improvements, people are like, get out of here. Like, I, no way. Um, because like that is, it's really unprecedented. Um, and, and the amount of energy that, that we can conserve here. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the context of that number in the industry. Got it. And, and, and sort of back to just sort of even the sort of areas of passion for our firm too, is how much, uh, what's the, been the role of storytelling and awareness and uh, especially for these audiences like like cattlemen, like is it obviously a lot of face to face time, but yeah, are they has has publicity ever helped as as sort of what kind of marketing would, have you learned matters at what stage? I've found maybe the most interesting thing um, and helpful at least in, in understanding this market is really listening and understanding to the the cattle industry. Um, and the way they approach um, these problems. So I, I think historically, like the cattle industry has felt very maligned by, um, by environmentalists um, because they think, hey, listen, I care about, you know, conserving 
you know, this land, like, what do you mean I'm bad for the environment? I care about conserving this land. I pass it on to my kids. I got it from my dad. Um, like I absolutely care about conservation and, you know, I, I don't want to hear that all of a sudden, you know, methane is this massive issue when we've had cows here forever. And before that there were Buffalo. Um, and I, I don't understand why this is like, like why I'm being unfairly attacked here. And I think on the other side, the environmentalists often don't understand the cattle industry. Like, and partially they don't understand methane <laughs> saying, well, actually, you know, th there's some truth in what the farmers are saying. Like the total amount of methane produced by the, the cows, like hasn't really changed over the years. And so you aren't getting like, a, it's a little different than cars. Um, but, uh, and, and so I think it's like bridging that gap of saying, hey, like we're not approaching this from an angle of, you know, you're a new thing that's terrible for the environment and we need to get rid of immediately. It's approaching it from a perspective of like, you know, hey, we're approaching this from a efficiency gains perspective. And like, we want to bridge this conversation between these two groups, because I think this is another reason why solutions like ours haven't been developed is that there isn't that much communication between the, the folks who are working on sustainability and the folks in the middle, in the heart of the beef and dairy industry. Um, and I think that's changing, which is really good. Um, but I think we need to like continue having those conversations and really figuring out what, what folks' perspective is, because it's, it's genuinely very, very different. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, I think we're at our time. So Alex, I want to thank you for a fantastic discussion. Uh, I always enjoy our conversations and I'm really thankful that now we can share these insights with our community. Uh, I keep loving the, the beef sign behind you. Um, I'm glad you have no beef with these different communities. Got to bring them all together here yeah. to be successful. Um, so, and just want to thank everybody. The company's Alga Biosciences, and uh, you can find them online at alga.bio. Yeah, and We're hiring uh, really, and and the company's hiring. So go to the website, uh, check out the jobs. Everybody in big tech thinking about getting into climate, alga.bio. Let's go. Exactly. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Climb by VSC. Thank you so much for watching and listening. A few quick shout outs before you go. Our thanks to Alex for sharing his deep knowledge on all things algae with us. You can learn more about them at www.alga.bio. Special thanks to Credo for their help in producing and promoting this episode. To visit any part of today's conversation, again, you can find the full transcript on vsceventures.com. Our thanks to Josue Ramiro for posting these every week. Lastly, if you've listened this far, please leave us a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. It only takes a few seconds, really helps us out, and as far as I know, it's still carbon neutral. That's it for now. We'll see you all next week on Climb by VSC.